you're traveling through a kaiju dimension, not only of gigantic creatures and movie monsters, but of silver screen serpents and devilish daikaiju. There is a signpost up ahead that reads, Kaiju vs. History, Ultra Q. to kaiju vs history for a special edition of the show this is your unbalanced host patrick and joining me is my cessna co-pilot miles how are you miles doing well i'm i'm excited to kind of switch gears a little bit and focus on a tv show for yes. one but yes. also a tv show that in its own right has kicked off a gigantic franchise Correct. <laughs> of indeed gigantic proportions. We are talking about Kaiju TV and, and Super Aya Productions 1966 television show uh, Ultra Q, which I got to admit, I think I knew of tangentially before the podcast. I don't know if I knew it was directly related to Ultraman, but I had never seen it before. Never, I never I- watched it. I hadn't seen it until Mill Creek acquired it a couple of years ago. I knew the name just because mm-hmm. of interest in the Ultraman franchise, which is uh, by and large not something we're going to get super, super into because it's more of a Tokusatsu TV franchise, even though it does have some films as well. Yeah. Um, so this will give us a chance to talk a little bit about some of that. Ultraman is something I was introduced to not because I had seen something on TV initially, but because I rented the Super Nintendo game with a friend when I was staying over <laughs> at his house. Oh, my. And I thought this was super cool. And I went to look for stuff and found nothing. Yeah. Uh, and yep. so uh, in the early heydays of the Internet, I found out, oh, this is Japanese, you know, show. And so stuff like that was hard to find. I think you could find some VHSs or comics at a mostly at comic book stores. But it was... And it's weird because I feel like people around our age who grew up in the era when the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo were kind of out had some sort of understanding through osmosis of who Ultraman was because of this game. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there were so many very similar things that were happening in the 90s, you know, similar to Power Rangers that just through osmosis. I found out about like Common Rider and some of the other Super Sentai shows, even though they hadn't made their way over. And I, I think some of that, like you said, is going to you know your comic book shows or conventions or things like that, and seeing all the imports of stuff. And it's like, oh wow, who is that very striking red and silver figure, for example? But there, there wasn't unfortunately as big a nostalgia market for Ultra Q, which is definitely the kind of forgotten aspect of the the universe yeah even, even though we'll talk at, about at, its least, legacy. at least in the states it still has oh, yeah. a legacy in japan but in the states uh, ultra q is really something that we've only just begun to i mean as in terms of easily available entertainment get mm-hmm. to lay our hands on i know that there have been releases but the mill creek blu-ray releases from i think two years ago is when they came out was the the big one. I know that there have been releases. I think the 
only one that's official in North America is the Mill Creek one. So there may have been other versions out there, but I think this is the first official release. And I believe that is the version that is currently on Tubi, which is where we watched this free with commercials, which weren't super invasive. Well, I did purchase the steelbook version of of Vulture Q. And I will say that helped my enjoyment a great deal because it is they are beautiful transfers like it's funny for a tv show and for a black and white tv show they did extremely well in preserving that film it looks better than you know unfortunately some of the scenes in king kong versus godzilla which did not (laughs) survive the the test of time and we had no and and honestly printings of those it's really impressive the cleanup job that was done for these these blu-rays uh, whether they were using the restoration that Subaraya's uh, company did or not, it's absolutely Honestly, I would even say too good. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit when we're talking about that. Ultra Q has had some follow-ups in the last 20 to 30 years. There was a movie that was released in 1990 mm-hmm. and two other series that were released in the 2000s. Yes, so- which, which we're, we're not going to. What we are going to do other kaiju TV shows. We're not going to do those because I actually don't think they really get into the kaiju aspect of it. Of I think there might be some cameos of of some fan favorites like Garmon and things like that. But I don't think there's a lot. I think it's a lot of more ghosts and aliens and, and things like that. Some Which, of the other I mean, aspects a, a, of the as, show. As a genre fan, I am a hundred percent down with. But <laughs> yes, for the for the purpose of this show, we we. And honestly, this show is is a variety. It's not all kaiju, although the first several episodes do favor the <laughs> giant <It> creature. <laughs> definitely makes you believe it's going to be all kaiju. And then you get to the turtle episode and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> um, I, I do want to point out before we get too far into it that we are going to be looking at kaiju TV shows for this podcast. And these are going to be special episodes. We're not going to be diving into every single episode uh we're not going to be rating it the same because our scale is really for for movies and having 10 hours for (laughs) a a story or in in this case i mean there were so many episodes of ultra q you know 13 to 15 hours it's just it's not the same and we're the other thing is we're going to talk about ultraman we are not going to talk about every season of Ultraman because so many <laughs> there's there's just too many you could have your entire podcast dedicated to Ultraman and if someone doesn't they should because it's great but so please follow history versus Ultraman coming in 2025 <laughs> I would well I would I would love to do that there's still so much that's not available to us here no but uh it is coming more and more available mill creek mm-hmm. and shout are doing the lord's work by getting a yeah. lot of this stuff out and and they've been fluctuating a little bit because i know that some stuff they've been releasing a couple of more modern things but i know that at least ultraman ultra seven i feel like ace is out oh well. yeah no they, they've got a, a ton in the steel books that i've been collecting um a few months I, back, they, I, they went on sale and they were insanely hard not to buy. I think they're going through the, the Tiger stuff now. Not the Tiger yeah. stuff. The high say stuff. Tiger's a, a Raiwa era stuff. But <laughs> I, I think we are, we are getting a lot more of this stuff. Yes, there is still stuff coming out. I mean, if you've been following the Super Sentai releases that Shout's been doing just on DVD, mm-hmm. 
but they have been starting with Zhu Ranger and going upwards. And then they've released, I think, a couple. I think they did Jetman and they may have released Go Ranger. So they've been doing some random ones that are pre what I'll call pre Power Rangers. Yeah. And they've mostly been following that one pretty, pretty nicely. So yeah, I mean, Shout and Mill Creek are, are definitely doing some work when it comes to getting some of those, th- those Japanese television shows or adaptations of, because I know mm-hmm. that, uh, VR Troopers and Superhuman Sam- what, Samurai, Superhuman Cyber Squad. Yep. Is, on their their kind of shout shout TV, mm-hmm. yeah. Those, uh, I mean, the, p- preserving those shows, I'm, I'm very much in favor of doing mm-hmm. them here on this podcast, even if it's like you know uh, a Super Sentai show where just like a regular size monster grows into kaiju sizes. We're we're not going to be talking about all of them because there are so many. We are going to talk about the first season of Ultraman and its legacy in a special episode this season as well. And then whenever there is a television show based on an existing kaiju movie or character series turned into like a live action show or an animated show, we'll Mm -hmm. probably talk about those. So obviously there's King Kong Godzilla television shows and which is one announced for Apple TV. Another one set in the MonsterVerse. Yeah, year. I'm super curious as to how that is going to go, because if it's set in an area where Godzilla doesn't appear, well, OK, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I think it's going to be more, more about Monarch, which is fun. I'm, I'm actually interested in that a little bit. Yeah. But. Yeah, let's let's dive a little bit into to Ultra Q because yeah, this is one that before this podcast I I can safely say that I had not seen. And I am I'm honestly this this is gonna I guess spoil a little bit of but since this is a special, I'm so impressed with the effort made in this show. Because oh the goodness. first several episodes are kaiju or kaiju adjacent. The second episode is just a giant monkey. He's a kaiju. Uh, whatever but the the, goro and goro (laughs) the the human goro and the ape giant ape goro yeah that was that was a lot the quality of production and and yes it's very low budget but considering tv budgets at the time and i think this was considered the most expensive television show at the time in japan's history yes most definitely and i think it might have been overtaken by ultraman soon after that or or maybe not the first season of ultraman but the second they they took like a year off and and really dug in for for that, that one. ultra seven yes ultraman ultra it's either seven or ace i think it's seven yeah because he has like seven capsule monsters I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the the second season but yeah this show looks great it mm-hmm. really even black and white it it blows away in my opinion what was happening you know uh, half a decade earlier or whatever in the show that inspired it. I think, I think I like this even more than the twilight zone. <sighs> uh, that is, that is tough for me to call because oh, I'm, man, a, I'm a huge fan of, of Serling and his brand of science fiction. I, I will say just, just on looks and directorial style alone, I really got to give it to Subaraya because oh, I don't disagree with that. It looks so good. A lot of these look movie quality episodes, you know, 
They do, but I, I will say, let's not overstate that this show, despite it being expensive at the time, was still relatively low budget in terms of what they could do. The most expensive mm-hmm. TV show at the time still isn't super expensive. And so <laughs> Yeah, it's a good point. These, these these effects and and one way to contextualize when you're watching this show, because now you're watching it in high definition, in a, a degree of cleaned up that probably no one had seen in about 50 years. And this is a show that was playing on smaller black and white and talent televisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're no one no one's watching it with the clarity that you, that we're we're seeing it now. We're watching it as it was kind of meant to be shown, or they they were watching it as it was meant to be shown. And so I feel like for the the medium that it was played on in the way it was played at the time it was played, this show must have been blowing minds. Yeah, I can understand why. I mean, it wasn't too far into this first season that they were so enamored with the the product, and especially the episodes with the kaiju in them that they they went ahead and started production on the first season of Ultraman immediately because this had a 28 episode run and Ultraman started the week after I believe the final episode I think the final episode was actually 27 that aired and then they they aired 28 a year later, but the Ultraman started immediately after. So they started production while these episodes started playing. And then, you know, six months later, Ultraman started up boom immediately. It was a smash hit to say, say the least and good on Superaya, uh, EJ Superaya and his production company for, for starting this up. Yeah. Um, and so this, this show, I remember, I think reading about it when I was trying to read it, like figure out, Ultraman mm-hmm. uh, when I was, you know, maybe like 19 or whatever, and just trying to like get some information on stuff I couldn't access. And I remember kind of reading that this show was very akin to the X-Files. Yeah. And it definitely has that vibe. You have some people who are like, it takes a little while to kind of realize that they're the main cast. Yeah. Yeah. I, when, when I saw the, the, the Cessna pilot played by Kenji Sahara, Whose name I have in my notes? Uh, Julian uh, Rodin. Yes. Uh, when I saw him, I was like, "Oh wow, they got a, a big get for this." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he came back. I was like, "Oh, he's he's playing another character." Oh no, he's the same character. He's playing the same character. And then we got his kind of assistant Ipe, and there's a reporter that they know that's in a lot of the stories as well, Yuriko, and. I'm just glad we didn't see that weird kid from the first episode in every episode. <laughs> yeah, be- that 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 kid and uh, whoever was dubbing the kid drove me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we're lucky we we've got, but it's it's interesting. They're not in every episode because some take place like all over the world and they're very kind of Japan yeah. centric. But and that's that's pretty neat. Like you have a core cast, but not every episode is about this entire cast. Like the first episode kind of in- introduces kind of almost everybody, but you might have an episode that doesn't feature Ipe or mm-hmm. you know, maybe Yuriko's not there at one point. June seems to pop up in almost all of them, I feel like. But he but yeah. I would imagine he would have been the the, the lead because he was the lead in so or at least appeared in so many Godzilla films. Right. So that's the thing. He's usually like a supporting character for like the actual 
cast of that episode. So he'll come in and is kind of like behind them and, and more of an observer of a lot of the stories, uh, which is very interesting. But yeah, yeah so there's not a whole lot they can do. They're all like reporters and, you know, yeah. pilots. There's, we, we you know, I, have, I think there's one professor who can kind of like talk about things sometimes, but that's yeah, about Ichi, it. Professor Ichi Nutani played by uh, Yuriko Igawa, who we get to see in a few episodes as kind of a, a Professor Yamane kind of uh, character. I think he's in the he might be in the first episode, too. It might be the guy that they go to to talk about the legend. I forget. But yeah, so we, we do have a lot of rotating cast, but then a couple of core characters that especially show up in some of like the 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 more well-known episodes the the kaiju episodes so it is it is nice there's a that through thread so it's not not exactly the same as its major inspiration the twilight zone i love the twilight zone as well i've I'm a, yeah i'm a massive fan of, of that show <laughs> i've gone through so many of the classic seasons especially like those very famous episodes the those and it does feel the same way really shine for the entire show but uh, having watched like multiple seasons and all of them there are just so many misses <laughs> so many bad twilight zone episodes that you know i don't know i mean they're, they're yes they're they're it doesn't it doesn't hit a home run every time but the, pa- the pacing know, on so many of them is just like oh they're just but, but, filling time but, this week <laughs> let's let's put things in context there are 156 episodes of twilight zone and 28 yeah of ultra q yeah well i will say there's some like i said some episodes of ultra q i wanted to skip as well but i I wanted to to talk about twilight zone a little bit more because we i I do want to talk about how this show is originally conceived and its original title which was unbalance it's a very cool title they actually mention it in the in ultra q's intros that are very rod serling kind of talking over scenes of like what's happening in the episode loved those intros like oh yeah. i mean I, re- I really felt like i was watching the a, a japanese twilight zone but i also it, it was similar in fashion to serling but it wasn't completely because it wasn't like you know only in the ultra q it wasn't something like that but it was it was <laughs> in basically the ultra like, we, we are entering. looking at this weird thing and i i really i really liked that kind of setup i wish yeah. i wish more people would do that kind of thing and and we were talking about it before we started recording, but it also has a a great intro song, just really good. Oh yeah, opening credits, and it got me very excited about every episode because I mean, just like the Twilight Zone's intro is very iconic, and I can see why people were obsessed with this show back then. Oh, I mean, absolutely. That first episode, which I, they were smart, they used a repurposed Godzilla suit from <laughs> oh, they, Godzilla. They knew what they were doing there. The first episode, defeat Gomez, which is of a, a very simple plot. It's you know we got too greedy, we dug too deep, and we've awoken a a monster buried under a mountain, a mountain that we find out is home to. Uh, Gomez, uh, an ancient threat that we have a professor kind of character go over. <laughs> and what's his opponent's name? It's Gomez. Oh, the, and... uh, the Lee, this was an L. Um, uh, I, Li- I can't remember the, Litra or Lytra. It's yeah. like a Phoenix kind of character. It, 
basically yes and i think yeah prehistoric bird lethra or retora maybe in the the japanese i think this is part they use part of rodan miniatures for Litra. <laughs> I think that is I so. Think I, that's not like not the suit, but a a toy prop. You know, a puppet prop. Yeah, because uh, Litra definitely was a lot more lower budget looking <laughs> than <laughs> the the really goofy. And, and you can find some color photos from this shoot. This this Godzilla that uh, a props department had gone <laughs> they just dressed them up yeah well not only that but like like they shaved the back so the the sp- the spines are gone but they put this turtle shell on there they gave him a little horn and some tusks and it just looked like godzilla is going as something else for halloween it's like godzilla's trick-or-treating as gamera <laughs> yeah and obviously it's not the the first time that they're going or not the last time that they're going to do this on this this show is repurpose some toho uh, costuming yeah i think don't they don't they use uh maguma from gorath at some point yes yes which is <laughs> i mean that's probably may, 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 10 may, times may, the amount of use uh, yeah so say, which show. makes maguma much more of a kaiju in ultra q than it was <laughs> in gorath <laughs> oh yeah i mean they they did this a lot. Uh, so, well, we can talk about the pseudomation a little bit and, and why this was, because t- this is not a Toho Studios production. This is Superaya production, but they used not only pr- props and, and suits, but miniatures as well from, from the Toho lots. While developed by Superaya's team, you know, those were owned by Toho, you know, you know, going back like six eight years he's been using props for this show i think since rodan really but uh, there were many toho executives board members that owned a stake on the board of directors of super Riot Productions. so yeah they they kind of let shared ej super <laughs> EJ super Riot just do whatever he wants and you know they were they were there at the beginning is to, to help make some of that magic and and they really do. I mean, one of the cool things, uh, and specifically talking about the kind of the kaiju episodes, is we get some unique creatures. I mean, yes, we get a dumb monkey because you know people love King Kong for some reason, <laughs> and that is that is Goro. <laughs> that is most people, I'm just not shy about being not a King Kong fan. Um, it, it is Goro, and it is the 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 suit used in King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, dressed up a little bit uh, but yeah you can kind of tell because it is a different suit actor i think that might have been Look, there, there, there's only one monster named goro that i salute he's eight feet tall half man half dragon and competes <laughs> in the mortal Kombat tournament every year there's only one goro for me but i uh, but like one one complaint that i sort of have with the the toho Eh, monster films is after mm-hmm. a certain time they kind of you know stop making the monsters and and they start reappearing you know you have even in in the the heisei era yes you have uh two i think new or well, three i guess technically the count with space godzilla but uh, the other ones are you know like bring back all the classics you know yeah so what and it's so funny and also in, in the the heisei era 
no Rodan, you know? So it's like they do and they don't, but I, I agree Yeah, which is you. wild. and So crazy to think about. But yes, I understand what you're talking about, but making but this- a show like this, you have to keep making up monsters, you know? Yeah, I would love to see the giant slug from episode three oh, yeah. in a Toho movie. Like yes. it's just so weird. And I, that's, that's the, that's the fact, the facet that we don't get a lot in some of these kaiju films mm-hmm. is some of just the, I mean, we, we get some in the Showa era from Toho. Don't you worry. I know, <laughs> but like it's a lot of it's, creativity. Yeah. I mean, you get some cool monsters. I mean, I love Gaijan. Don't get me wrong, but you get a lot of kind of standard, you know, you have Rodan or you have the giant mecha or you have. Mm-hmm megalon you know you have like some of these kind of creatures that are a twist on something else or another giant reptile but like here we have like yeah you you just get a variety package of weird creatures and i really love when they just get odd and i mean yes you have gaian and hetera down the line but at this point in time you know we're still we got mothra we've got you know Ghidorah's three-headed golden dragon but still (laughs) like I, I three headed golden dragon. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I see a giant slug monster shooting eye, like beams out of its eye stalks. I'm like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I it's very easy to see why kids were super enamored with this show. Oh, a hundred percent. And why it took over. You know why Ultraman really took over in in the 60s here. So so filming of this show took place in 1965 and it premiered in January of 66. And the episodes go by really quickly. They are slotted for half hour segments. And so they run like 26 to 28 minutes. But yeah, like, like I said, I think it really had some of the, the best production value of a lot of the, the early sixties films, you know, definitely maybe outside of the major Toho ones. But I, I think in the episodes I, I've seen with the, the miniatures and the kaiju episodes, they look great. It actually looks in my opinion, better than a lot of the Ultraman episodes that are going to follow it. And maybe that's because the black and white covers up a good deal of it. But well, th- there, there's that because as we're going to talk about next weekend in the next film where we see a, a franchise monster move from black and white to color, you know, black and white does help aid some, you know, that kind of thing. But also I feel like the demand on a show where you have a monster versus people and you can, right. you can, trick shots and stuff whereas if you have a monster that's supposed to be facing somebody else who is present in an ultraman costume that makes it a lot more difficult especially when you're working on a television budget and i think that that has a lot more to do with it and uh, we'll talk about with ultraman i'm sure when when we get to that episode but that that's like the first time that that was really done I, i guess you got frankenstein you know conquers the world but like a humanoid with the full range of movement, trying to make something very dynamic and pretty much like a wrestling match. Each one of those well, episodes is uh, well, certainly, I mean, it, well, even the colors kind of feel like, you know, wrestlers at the time, especially in Japan or in Mexico. And not only that, I mean, cause I feel like a lot of the, 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 the tokusatsu has a lot of kind of wrestling background. I think at one point they even made some sort of wrestling show that utilized that. I can't remember what it was called, mm-hmm. but um, I think, you know, th- this, this helps set the stage for Ultraman, which helps sets the stage for some monumental shifts in pop culture. 
And I, I, that, that can't be understated because I mean, Ultraman, you know, is this colorful superhero who essentially inspires what comes next in tokusatsu television mm-hmm. and this all like are, are we giving any certain rating to this are we i know you say that the top we're bypassing that but are we going to talk about ratings or can i just kind of give my my talk my talk about the legacy of this show i mean we, we can move into to to legacy and, and talk about where where it goes from here i, I did want to mention that because of the black and white aspect of it Originally, CBS, what? TBS. Well, no, I, I believe an American company was in, oh, 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 in, oh, oh, in for, discussion for, to translate. Yes, 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 yes. But they sorry, got, sorry. TBS was the Japanese company yeah, yeah. That, that broadcast the show. <laughs> so Ultra Q almost made it to, it probably wasn't the, you know, all affiliates, but, you know, Hawaii and California and things like that almost made it overseas, but they stopped translating it when they saw Ultraman coming out being broadcast in Japan and we're like oh well we're gonna oh no we we, we want that we're gonna go with the <laughs> giant colorful you know m- maybe more kid friendly even <laughs> show instead so it, it, in the end it didn't get US distribution I think outside of very few areas later on but they apparently did translate a few episodes but yeah unfortunately Ultraman kind of stole the show very shortly after Ultra Q I'm, wrapped I'm up, not at all surprised. I, you know, I kind of wish uh, it seems like it's a format that that you could slot into the Ultraman show as well. Like every once in a while, an episode doesn't focus on the Science Patrol, and instead you have these same characters show up. It's in the same universe, technically. So yes, and so what I was ta- when I was talking about the. The legacy, and this is uh, if we were rating this, I would have given this a ten for for a couple of reasons. One is because yes, it is responsible for the Ultraman franchise, which yes, not quite as well known here, but has had a couple of leg ups, and now currently has uh, Marvel Comics, and which is written by Kyle Higgins, who recently did the first run of the, the reboot of the Power Rangers comics, which are excellent, and I've read the first two series of the Ultraman. By Marvel, and what's really cool is there is some flashback sequences that reference Ultra Q. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen, and they, they have in, in some of their comics back matter that does Ultra Q. I forget if it was like an annual or something, but they had an Ultra Q kind of adventure in one of them. I thought, was, yeah, they did. It was, in, it was in like black and white too. Yeah, and that, that was the cool part. It was like the flashback was in black and white. I'm like, this is so fun. And but but also because. Because this gives us Ultraman, which in turn pretty much is responsible for Zone Fighter and Super Sentai, which Mm -hmm. brought us Power Rangers, which was a global phenomenon and especially big here. Like the the reach that that started with Ultra Q cannot be understated. And you have to imagine that people who watch this, as well as people who might have been able to catch who have been able to watch Twilight Zone and maybe able to catch some of this or Ultraman were, were very much informed by writing some of the science fiction shows that came afterwards. I mean, because X-Files is very much this. It's it, it can't be understated how great a writing job they did on, on some of these episodes. The fact that they they managed to cram so much story into a 27 minute episode is is pretty amazing you know just going through some of these 
and it's nonstop action and just everything moves the plot forward you know, like pretty perfectly did you have a, a favorite episode of, of the ones that that you I mean, watched like so i far? said i was super super charmed by because i didn't watch a ton i haven't had a chance mm-hmm. uh but the gift from space i thought was yeah. very very fun i was episode number three yeah i, I also like the following episode of mammoth flower i think mammoth flower is is my favorite so far because i saw so many shades of um uh, gamera <laughs> attack on legion well no no Gam- gamera that the second haste say movie where the giant you know things sprout out of the buildings mm-hmm. the, the 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 legion flowers there but yeah Bailante as well it, it's it's about a giant plant but yeah it's it's so interesting and it's it's like an entire little movie in and of itself it it starts with like the mystery of like what exactly it is and you got the attack and they have to fight the the plants vines that are like wrapping around people and yeah finally they have the plan to to kill it and I don't know. Just that one really, I guess I like plant kaiju. <laughs> yeah, no, I do too. And what's funny is I feel like this, this really distills the, the, the kaiju cinema into 30 minutes. And it honestly kind of affects how you like watch things because I watched these episodes before watching next week's movie and I, it kind of affected how I kept looking at my watch because I was like, <laughs> this is so... I could have watched four episodes of Ultra Q in this time. And, and I mean, it's not, not, not say a fair criticism. And yes, sometimes this show seems to show its budget to the modern viewer. A hundred percent. Look, when, when they, when they do the slow, not slow mo, but the close up on the eye stalks of the giant slug creature, you can clearly see that they're like paper lanterns, but it, <laughs> doesn't hurt it looks yeah, I mean, great and it would have looked great on a television in 1966 in black and white i mean like um, i said the the steelbook blu-rays or, or whatever you can get your hands on they are amazing no they're, they're they are amazing transfers they're in fact a little too amazing because you can't see all these little details <laughs> yeah no that, i i did wonder like in watching these is like well what if I mean, could people not see these on their their TVs back then? Like, did, were they understanding the the limitations of the the technology? Because that that does happen every once in a while. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, I would imagine if I was a kid in 1966, I would have thought this was mind blowing. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, because I, like you're you're getting these in your home for free every week, whereas like yeah, you might pay a nickel to go to the the theater to get a theatrical experience and then, you know, buy your popcorn and everything, but like, or you can stay home and watch a bite sized morsel that gives you every beat from a kaiju film. Almost. I can't imagine anything else stacking up against this. You know, we, we didn't talk about, there was a 1950s kaiju film. I think we might've mentioned in our 1950s wrap up, not, not film, but a television show called Marine Kong. Which was very much, you know, kind of a a ripoff of a lot of Godzilla and King Kong kind of tropes in in TV show format. It has not survived. It has not really been uh, found and and transferred over. So we don't really have anything to watch on that. But this show is definitely the one that people referred to as like kind of like the first kaiju show because it, it it's not just about giant monsters. It's about those tropes and that storytelling and this one definitely has hit yeah it's i mean i get why it spanned a franchise that exists to this day 
Um, I think we are on uh, Chronic Ultraman Chronicle D. Are, are there other episodes you want to highlight? Maybe suggest people watch the. There, there's a, a couple of repeat characters or monsters that come back with uh, the Garadama, the the Garmon monster in episode 13, and he comes back with in episode 16. And I think Gomez comes back. I don't think I've gotten. Maybe I fell asleep during that episode, but I believe some other monsters return. Maybe it's in, in later seasons, but and some of these monsters are going to show up in Ultraman, too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, which is super fun because, you know, uh, there's only so many times you can kind of see a bunch of people like stumbling around hoping to figure something out. I actually love the fact that they just like push the slug into the sea and it <laughs> melts. I mean, that that's hilarious. And you know, this, the egg starts growing at the end and, and it's like, Oh, go get the salt water. And like, that's where the episode just ends. And I'm like, I, I guess we're supposed to infer that. Yeah. The heroes got salt water and, and just, you know, took care um, of business, but it also leaves with that, that kind of Rod Serling outro where it's like, if this is the weakest thing they could send, think about what other things might come from beyond the stars, that kind of thing. And I, mm-hmm. I really liked it. I, I love this vibe. I think this show is an absolute treasure. I think if you're a kaiju fan, you've got to at least check it out. But if you're a science fiction fan, this is a must have. This needs to be in every sci-fi fan's collection. This show is an absolute treasure. I think that the acting is pretty solid. Um, yeah, it's, like it's, it's good. It's serviceable to pretty great. Like and, I said, Kenji Sahara and it is yeah. awesome. We did mention about uh, Hiroko uh, Sakurai as Yuriko is great. She's the the reporter character, and it's just like just such great protagonists that you you are very excited when they show back up again. It's like, oh, awesome! It's it's one of their yes, episodes, you a- know? absolutely. And the, yeah, the the story running is great. The the suits, yes. I mean, especially in a modern context, watching these in high definition, you can tell the, the show's budget, as I've <laughs> oh, said boy, repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah, some, I want some to say the... I need to temper expectations because we are having a great time with this show, but I don't want to hype this show so much that someone goes and says, oh, this is just a cheap, you know, blah, blah, blah. This show is certainly of its time and of its budget, but this show is just a treasure trove of wonderful little science fiction stories. Yeah, I don't know if I, you know, we're not really rating this like we do the movies, but overall, I think it's definitely at at least a nine up Mm -hmm. there as far as like television shows go. I think Ultraman might also be a nine the first season and later ones might, might get that perfect score. But this one is as close as you can get to. I mean, it, it, it doesn't have any competition at this point in Japanese television and it's still above and beyond kind of what I would have expected. I mean, it, what I was expecting was something like Varen, you know, which yes. while good was originally kind of planned as a television limited series. I mean, these shorter episodes have like better characterization than, than we got for some of those characters. Yeah. It, it's, Varen. it's, it's a little wild. I mean, and there are some things, <laughs> I mean, there are some things that are still silly. I think the the random in the the gift from space, the random gangsters. I was very very confused by, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it didn't a, matter because they didn't last very long. Let's say just a trope that you'll get a lot of random gangsters in in Ultraman. But it's as like, well. where did they come from? What were they looking for initially? It's like, what? Where this? Where where are we now? Um, and so <laughs> some stuff like that kind of like throws me off guard. But like 
not really a storytelling problem. It's like, it moves the story along. It's fine. Okay, gangsters, cool. It's not a problem, but I was just like, what's happening right now? Um, right. So I think, I think that's going to do it for, for Ultra Q. High recommendation marks from us. Mm-hmm. And, and as I said, the, the subsequent movie and TV shows, I'm double, I'm going to double check, but I don't think they really are kaiju related so much. So unfortunately, probably not something we're going to cover here on the podcast, except in like in wrap ups and, and in passing chat about them. But yeah, we are obviously the next TV show that we're going to do because it falls immediately after this is 1966's Ultraman. But um, it looks like there is a kaiju in Ultra Q, the movie Legend of the Stars. I yeah, I I I've not been able to find a copy to to review for that. I think it might be on our list, but I don't want to say if, if I wasn't sure. But I think you are correct. So. I would also like to state because this is not something that is probably well known to listeners of this podcast unless they listen to the other ones. But I am a very, very massive, massive, massive fan of the band Green Day. And Billy Joe Armstrong has a son who is equally interested in this stuff and, in fact, has a band called Ultra Q. Awesome. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the 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 title and where it came from. It's supposedly a reference to the the manga Obake no Kyutaro. But also a gymnastics routine from the '64 Olympics, the the ultra move or something like that. But supposedly the Q stands for question, as a like mystery. It works. It it does have have that air of like, oh, what is that about? I, ultra as a a word, you know, is is interesting enough. I fe- I feel like if the show is just called Q, that would also have worked just fine, you know, Q Kaiju or something along those lines, but. Yeah, that, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We, we could probably talk about this. <laughs> and like I said, go into every single episode that we watched, but we're not going to do that. And this yeah, is this is just a, a brief, oh, a brief ish overview of the show. Cause like, yeah, like Patrick said, there's, if we, we could do a whole show on the ultra series <laughs> for, for most of these special episode TV uh, dives, they're, they're going to be fairly superficial. We're not going to be getting into them as much just cause like I said, Ultraman has. 30 something episodes 40 episodes every season we just can't do it okay so that's gonna do it for us this week for ultra q so make sure you subscribe like comment and share this podcast with any kaiju loving friends or family start an ultra q watch party and tell us which monster is your favorite on twitter at kaiju versus history and make sure to join us for next week's episode we return to the cinemas and the first of many period piece movies on our list with a giant kaiju in it That's right. Tune in next week where we look at history versus the magic serpent. Mm -hmm.